If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be turning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, thank you for filling in today, uh, Justin. It's nice to have uh, an insider to Zoe Group. And um, I'm always, uh, if y'all don't know, Justin is a member of the Zoe Group. And so always looking forward to a new album that's coming out from them. Romans chapter 10, uh, after Paul's third missionary journey, uh, he is coming to the end of that journey, and the Bible tells us in Acts 20 that he spent three months in Greece. Uh, And so most scholarship acknowledges that this is somewhere around uh, A.D. 57, uh, maybe the year A.D. 58, and I believe that this is, is when and this is from where uh, Paul writes the letter to the Romans. Uh, it's possible that it's from Corinth, which is in south central uh, Greece. And so from there, Paul goes back to uh, Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, if you're getting your geography down. And Paul collects money from the Macedonian churches. This is what uh, Brian referred to just a few moments ago uh, during our, our time of contribution. And so he, he says in Romans 15, 26, for, for Macedonia and, and Achaia, we're, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Uh, it's one of the things that I, I love about the Homewood Church is that often uh, we will take up a contribution. Usually it's in the form of uh, a natural disaster that has occurred uh, somewhere, and, and we are, are sending funds. Uh, we've even had church, a church send funds to us uh, during a time when tornadoes kind of ripped through our area a few years ago. And so uh, Paul is, is sharing this, and it's, it's what we see is that Paul's not only concerned about the, the physical well-being of others, but he's most assuredly concerned about their spiritual well-being. And so in Romans chapter 10, as we get to uh, this chapter, we, we notice that this is, this is at the heart of who Paul is as a follower of Jesus. So in Romans 10, starting in verse 1, if you'll follow along with me. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. In 1939, uh, the Germans invaded Poland, which started, began World War II. It's known as the Blitzkrieg. And uh, during this time, the, the, the Russians knew that they, they needed uh, some sense of defensive mobility. And so they covertly acquired uh, these 1930s BMW motorcycles. You'll see a picture of one on the screen. And what they ended up doing was they reverse engineered these motorcycles. So reverse engineering uh, just means you you don't start with the idea. You actually take a finished product, you you tear it apart, and and you figure out how it was made, how it was made. You reverse engineer it. So this is what they did. 
And the Russians uh, reverse engineered the BMW R71 and made the Euro motorcycle, which almost looks identical. When we think about this in the context of Paul's writing, Paul argues that his people seek righteousness by their means rather than God. So he's having to reverse engineer their idea, uh, their concept of salvation. And he uses the Old Testament in order to do this. Uh, we said last week that these three chapters, this section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, contain more than 25% of Paul's Old Testament quotes in the New Testament. And just think about that. Just these three chapters, more than 25% of all of his quotes from the Old Testament. And so Paul's already said that only in Christ and through the Spirit are people made righteous. And Paul argues that, that Christ is the end or the, the, the telos, uh, think telescope. He, he's the end of the law from the standpoint of faith. And so Paul supports this claim by, by using the Old Testament. Verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. That's quoting Leviticus 18. Verse 6, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Paul is quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, uh, this is kind of the close of, of the book. And these chapters tell a story of, of what's going to happen to Israel in the days to come. And it's really this, this second giving of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. Deuteros is second or, or two, and Nomos is law. It's the second giving of the law. And so Scholar Michael Gorman says it this way, Deuteronomy 30 supplies the key words, catch this, the key words mouth and heart. This invitation to covenant renewal and life with God is not something to be searched for hither and yon. It is present here and now. It is the apostolic proclamation, not of the law, but of the Messiah, Jesus. And what is this message? What is this message that we proclaim? What does Paul say in verse 9? If you declare with your mouth, you remember this responsive reading just a moment ago. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans uh, chapter 10 is the basis that I've used for 13 years of preaching here. Uh, when someone responds, makes the decision to be baptized into Christ... Some of you had made that response, and we gather either down here or up here on the stage. And, and what's, what is it that we, we ask folks to, to, to share with publicly? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that He died and that He rose again, 
And then we put on this, this phrase, Jesus is Lord. And that comes, comes directly from, from Romans chapter 10 uh, when we do that. And, and certainly uh, confessing Jesus as Lord at baptism makes a link to Romans chapter 6. So if you, if you keep Romans chapter 6 in mind and then, and then you're reading Romans chapter 10, you, you, can, you can see the, the link. But, but it also, this, this proclamation that Jesus as, is Lord really has another point to it. What Paul is saying here is, is that in, in his day that Caesar the, was known as, as Lord. And so when you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, what you are, are saying is that Caesar is not. Jesus is Lord. And so in, in 2023, when we say Jesus is Lord, it means that your money is not. When we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that your pride is not. When we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that you no longer bow down to the approval of others. Saying Jesus is Lord means that you submit to his authority, come what may. We reverse engineer the narrative of God's story in light of King Jesus, not in light of King you or King me. Jesus is Lord. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I've shared this story uh, before, but it's certainly one that continues to come to my mind even to this day. In 2013, I spent two weeks in the, in the Philippines along with a dozen of my classmates uh, who were working on our doctoral degree. Uh, and it, it was an immersive experience. We, we were actually getting ourselves involved in seeing what transformational leadership uh, looks like in, in different contexts. And so we were uh, there in Manila uh, in the Philippines, and uh, this, this was kind of like a residency for faith leaders, so to speak. And we visited this, this one nonprofit organization uh, named Samaritana. Uh, and Samaritana gets its name. You'll see uh, three of the ladies that uh, work with that organization on the screen. Samaritana gets its name from John chapter 5 when Jesus has this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And, and what Samaritana's focus is, is that they reach out to and minister to uh, those women who are caught in uh, human trafficking there in Manila. Uh, you'll see uh, the, the lady in the chair on the right, uh, she's sharing her story with us. Uh, she went to work with her sister uh, at a bar, and what she didn't realize is at night, that bar turned into a brothel, and she was slowly uh, sucked into and coerced into to that, that way of life. And so, uh, right after this time of her sharing her story, uh, these three ladies took us, and we went out on, onto the streets of Manila, uh, not to go 
into brothels, but to walk on the streets beside them. And you can tell where the brothels are because Christmas lights in Manila mean brothels. They don't mean Christmas. And so uh, we're, we're walking on the side of the streets and we're, we're praying. And I was uh, amazed at these three ladies, just the way that they, they would go and they, they actually would uh, befriend some of the, the ladies that were uh, uh, caught in this lifestyle. And, and they would have conversations with them. They would, they would share with them uh, good news. And, and sometimes, uh, just in an amazing turn of events, that sometimes the brothel owners would let them come in and do this. And I've, I've never, that night, after walking those streets and seeing all of this unfold and what was happening, I, uh, one of my classmates uh, took a picture of these ladies' feet. And I have never been able to read that verse from Isaiah again without seeing this picture in my mind. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And what makes beautiful feet in the mind of God through the prophet and through Paul is not a pedicure. Sorry, ladies. It's not those cute shoes that you just have to have. That's not what makes your feet beautiful. It's not those chacos that you've been, been dying to put on. That's not. The beauty is found in the saving news of Jesus. And to reject this news is to reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus is to disobey God. Hmm. Verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. See, now you have the context for the verse that some of us heard when we were growing up as a list. That was not originally published as a list, but this is the context. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God to hear, to believe, to repent, to confess, to be baptized. This is the context for that verse, verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their, their voice has gone out into all the earth, their, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you en envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I want to give us uh, four questions to reflect on this week. Uh, four questions in, in light of what we've just read from Paul in, in Romans chapter 10. And these questions... I believe are going to be a, a mirror to us in the way that we are or are not living out as image bearers of Christ. Question number one is, in Christ, are we caring? In Christ, are we caring? Back in chapter 9, uh, Paul is going to say, I speak the truth in Christ. 
How many of us know that we need some truth tellers to speak the truth in Christ? In a world where a lack of truth is being upheld, do we need truth tellers that are going to say, I, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul cared deeply for those who had not yet followed Jesus. He had anguish in his heart. It's a strong language in, in the New Testament. And church, you, you can come and you can enjoy the worship. You can take it in. You, you, you can love the, the family atmosphere of, of a connect group and you can grow in your faith. But at some point you have to take that next step of sharing that love of Christ with others. But it begins with caring. Stop for a moment and just think about someone right now who cared enough for you to tell you about Jesus. Get that per person's picture in your mind. Uh, this past weekend, the minister who performed Laney and I's wedding ceremony over 17 years ago, uh, stopped in and spent the night with us. And it, it was this, uh, just a, a sweet time. Um, you know, this, this is, this is the, the man who looked at me when I was 14 years old and, and cared enough about me to tell me, Brett, I, I see something in you. He was also the, the man who allowed me to preach my first sermon at the age of 14 years old. Which just be thankful y'all weren't there for that. But he cared enough about me to look at me and, and he knew I had an older brother that I kind of lived in his shadow and, and he said, yeah, 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 but, but there's something about you. He, he cared enough. And so he could have just blown through Birmingham the other night, but he said, no, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make time in my schedule. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with you. And this is the first time that he really got to meet our kids. So I'm sitting here thinking of the folks that I've done wedding ceremonies for. And I'm trying to decide which one of you I'm going to show up at your house one Friday when you have kids. And I'm going to invite myself to spend the night. Yeah, there's two of them right there, Carter and Caroline. Just wait 20 years. I'll be there. All right. Who's somebody who cared enough to tell you about Jesus? I encourage you this week, reach out to that person. Call them, text them, write them a note. If you can, visit with them in person, do so. Maybe that person's already gone on to glory. Spend some time thanking God for them in your lives, someone who cared. Second question is this, is that in Christ we are praying. Brothers and sisters, my, my heart's desire, Paul says, and prayer did you catch that? My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And your, your first prayer this week may be, Lord, teach me to care. That may be your first prayer this week. Christ, when asked what the greatest commandment was, would say, love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hard to love people you don't care about. 
Lord, teach me to care. And then when the Lord places someone on your heart, pray for them. Who's your one? So thankful for a prayer team that is committed to praying. I remember 13 years ago starting to preach, and we would gather right down here um, before the auditorium was remodeled, and we would gather right down here, and we, we would pray for, uh, it would be an hour before service. Uh, I remember Brother Butch Ware gathering down here. I remember Brother Donnie Price gathering down here, praying, praying for our service and, and praying for what God was going to do that day. And I remember one gentleman standing in our circle who uh, no longer attends church here, but I remember him praying one, one Sunday. He just said, Lord, I just pray that you will, you will turn somebody's car into this parking lot and that they will, you know, they, will, they will come to a better understanding of you by being here. And I remember my lack of faith <laughs> listening to that prayer. I thought, okay, that may be a stretch, you know. The next week, a mom pulled in here with her young son. And I didn't know this till months later when she wrote me a six-page letter. But months later, in that letter, she wrote, we were driving by your church. And we don't know why, but we pulled in. <laughs> and they, they walked in. A week or two later, she was baptized into Christ. A few years later, her son was baptized into Christ. And I have repented for my lack of faith from that brother's prayer. Paul cared. Paul prayed. God, you can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. In Christ, are we praying? Number three, in Christ, last one, are we going and telling? Verse 14, how, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom, whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you say, well, that passage is, is talking about you. It says preach. You're the preacher. Preach. Actually, in the Greek, I pull out Greek words when it's convenient. It's convenient here. In the Greek, that's not talking about the preacher. It's simply, it's simply referring to someone who, who tells, it's, it's someone who proclaims, which is you and me. When's the last time that you told your story, the story of how you came to Christ? When's the last time you just shared that with somebody, not in a, a pompous, arrogant kind of way, but in a God-glorifying way that, hey, this, this is my story, this is my song. <laughs> praising my Savior all the day long. Before faith can be activated, there must be a hearing. In Matthew 13, Jesus explains the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the, the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, last only a short time, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. 
I'll close with this story. Um, there's this place in Sydney, Australia. It's an ocean cliff called The Gap. You'll see a picture of it on the screen. Uh, it's a tourist attraction, and, and a lot of folks come and visit it during the day. Uh, but if, unfortunately, it's also infamous and known for a place where folks come, particularly at night, and they jump off and they take their life. And so um, this next picture is a gentleman who lives next door to that cliff. His name's Don Ritchie. And over the years, uh, Don would see somebody uh, from his, his porch 200 feet away. He would see somebody in distress come to that cliff. And he could tell because they would linger and they would, they would be there a little longer than normal. And, and he would just begin making his way over. And, and right before, oftentimes right before they were about to jump off the cliff, he would walk up behind them and he would just say, excuse me, would you like to come to my house for some tea? And the question just shocked people. I mean, they, they're getting ready to make this, this decision and, and it just shocked them. And, and they would be so shocked and so caught off guard that oftentimes they would come over to Don's house and they would have tea and they would talk and they would have a conversation. Don officially rescued 180 people over 45 years. And at the age of 80, he received the Medal of the Order of Australia. He became known in Sydney as the Angel of the Gap. And before he passed, Don said, never be afraid to speak to someone in need. Church, may, may we be more aware of how our presence in other people's lives can be the very thing that someone desperately needs. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? So this week, whether you're on your porch, students at school, in your classroom, at work, what would it be if you just started every day, every, every situation you find yourself in, if you just proclaimed, maybe not audibly, but but in your heart and in your mind, you just proclaim Jesus is Lord. Come what may. We sang that just a, a few moments ago, Christ be magnified. And in that song, it said, from the north to the east to the south to the west, Christ be magnified. So I'm going to ask us to practice that before we sing. If you'll just stand where you're at, we're going to face north. You got three words. Jesus is Lord. We're looking to the north on a count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Now we're going to look to the east. On the count of three, one, two, three, Jesus is Lord. Now we're going to look to the south. One, two, three, Jesus is Lord. And now we're going to look to the west. One, two, three, Jesus is Lord. May it be so in our lives this week. My prayer is that nobody got dizzy enough that they're going to fall out. 
but may it be so in our lives that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord wherever we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of Paul in Romans 10. We thank you for the way that it convicts our hearts, that it reminds us of who we are in you. God, I pray today that we will not let this word return void, but that we will leave these doors, go out into the other six days of the week, and not only proclaim it with our mouths, but live it with our lives. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.